Turning into Jumpy Ellie's basketball show Hosted by a guy called Jumpy Ellie Tuning into Jumpy Ellie's basketball show At JumpyEllie.com This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey by Two Ways, One Patchman. Food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in the world of baseball, sports, and unified America. And I was kind of going back and forth. What do I want to start with? What do I want to start with? And, you know, be kind of remiss if I didn't spend a couple minutes talking about Dick Allen and Dick Allen's impact on the game as an offensive player. The fact that Dick Allen belongs in Baseball's Hall of Fame. And, of course, Dick passed away this week, the age of 78, in case you were living under a rock. And just a a great dominant player for the Phillies. Also won the MVP in the American League for the White Sox. His career, to me, kind of mirrors that of Albert Bell. He didn't play a considerable period of time, but when he, he was out on the field hitting, he dominated and, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame, the joke that it is, think about it, it's really the only Hall of Fame in all of sports that looks for reasons to leave somebody out as opposed to putting somebody in. And Dick may not have rubbed everybody the right way, but who has? You know, who out there could say that there isn't any critics against him or people that want to see it fail? Or people that don't like your personality or like the way that you carry yourself. And Dick Allen was probably no different. But when it comes down to it, the Baseball Hall of Fame refuses to make it about the numbers. They make it about everything else except for the actual numbers and how good of a player that you know player in question was. And once again, Dick Allen can be added to the laundry list of players that belong in baseball's Hall of Fame. And it's a shame that they'll, and and it's likely there'll be a day. It's likely there'll be a day where Dick Allen will get the call. Unfortunately, he's not going to be home to answer it. And you could say the same about Ron Santo. You could say the same about Marvin Miller. Two very deserved members of the Baseball Hall of Fame, but they had to wait so long that they passed away and they weren't here to enjoy the accolades of it. And Dick Allen is going to be another example of it. I'm confident that Dick Allen's going to get into the Hall of Fame. I think he'll get in before somebody like a Barry Bonds. I think he'll get in before Pete Rose or Joe Jackson. Now, in my opinion, I think the three that I just mentioned are more deserved based off of their on-field accomplishments. But I think I'll be happy to see Dick Allen in baseball's Hall of Fame. And like I said, the best compliment or a complimentary player I could put to Dick Allen is somebody we've seen within the last 20-plus years, and that's Albert Bell. Albert Bell, over a course of a 10-year period, was one of the best offensive players in the game. He's held out of baseball's Hall of Fame. Why? Because ah, some people don't think he was a nice guy. Dick Allen played 20 years before that, dominated the sport for about a decade, and is not in baseball's Hall of Fame because some people don't think he's a nice guy. Kurt Schilling, 3,000 strikeouts, one of the best big game pitchers in postseason history, is not in a baseball's Hall of Fame because some people don't think he's a nice guy. 
And we, we try to talk about this character clause in regards to Major League Baseball. Like it's something that really should trump anything else. You know, when you're, you're judging and you're trying to put together a Hall of Fame, it, it's never going to be a group of the best people. Think of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Lawrence Taylor would not be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame if it was a, a, a matter of nice guys. Lawrence Taylor isn't a nice guy. In fact, Lawrence Taylor could not have been Lawrence Taylor on the football field if he was not a nice if he was a nice guy. But baseball has changed it. Have set it up to make it about the characters. You know, somebody's character. Yet Ty Cobb and everything that could be questioned about him and the type of person that he was. Now, some of some of what he is been accused or said to have done has been disputed. Kennesaw Mountain Landis was an outright racist. He would he do everything he could to make sure blacks were not allowed to play in the major leagues with whites. He's in a baseball Hall of Fame. There's no problem with that. I don't want to make it a, a Hall of Fame discussion. Problem is, is that it becomes a Hall of Fame discussion when somebody like Dick Allen passes away and all you can think of is the fact that this guy belonged in the Baseball Hall of Fame and you actually think there's enough momentum that they're finally going to get it right and put the guy in. Might not be this year. Maybe it's next year. Maybe it's the year after. Maybe it's the, the next time that his name comes up on a ballot. But you just wish that they would have gotten it right while he was still here on this earth. So I was thinking about the, the NBA and load management and the fact that really it's set up to be a ploy for money. The NBA is trying to institute new rules to try to make sure that the best players are playing as often as they can. You think of somebody like a Kawhi Leonard, who if Kawhi Leonard was a, an obtainable woman, in regards to the market, Kawhi Leonard will be like the most high maintenance of women out there. And Kawhi Leonard works out his own way. Kawhi Leonard sets himself up to where there are certain games he's not going to play. And he really is the poster child to load management in a National Basketball Association. And you think of it. From the NBA standpoint, they're losing money because there, there was no fans in the postseason. Now, listen, their bubble was successful. I think overall, uh, the NBA did as well as it could have done. Um, you think of fans as we get around Christmas time or you know the last week of December, you know to perhaps see the start of the National Basketball Association season, it's likely to not have fans in most arenas. Maybe in some places there'll be some fans. But even at 25% capacity, it's understood that the NBA is going to take some sort of hit. Not getting those, you know, gate sales for tickets, people walking up, wanting to see their favorite players. Now, because of that, I don't think this is the time to address load management. Now, is it a topic that should be discussed? Is it something that over time should be thought about? And some sort of rule or philosophy should be put in there to let teams know 
hey, if a player is going to get a mental health day or a player is going to sit out, you know, while they're healthy just to get some rest, you know, it shouldn't be on the road where maybe a young kid would be out there to see them for the first time. But understand that right now, there's not going to be fans in the stands. There's not going to be many fans in the stands. Hope is, is that, you know, as the basketball season goes on, all of a sudden we can start seeing stadiums fill to half capacity and maybe even more. Once that happens, then I think load management should be an issue. Right now, it shouldn't be. So the fact that load management's being talked about and brought up by the NBA makes it seem like they're screaming poverty. They're trying to do everything they can to make money. And in fact, when you're seeing team after team disclose that there's players that have the coronavirus, and as time's going by, you're going to find that more players are going to have it, it seems in bad taste for the NBA to be talking about trying to get rid of low management, trying to tell players that they need to get out there and be on the court. Now, listen, they're, they're going to get exceptions when it comes to, uh, you know, anybody that's sick, anybody that can have any sort of contract tracing, contact tracing to somebody that has the coronavirus. You understand that the NBA isn't going to go out there and make those players play, but it still is in bad taste to talk about the importance of star players being on the court and playing in as many games as possible and being available on the bench in days that they are healthy scratches. To me, it just doesn't fit right now. And it's not that it's an issue that doesn't need to be brought up. I believe it's important. I believe at some point it's something that should be discussed. But when we're talking about load management and maybe reducing it, we're talking about it as it applies to fans that are in the stands. That average family of four with the two kids that are going to go see a basketball game for the first time. Those families are not going to be going to basketball games at least well into the new year. Now, like I said, you know, you you start to see some progress with the vaccine and all of a sudden, you know, we don't have to wear a mask in most states. All all of a sudden you'll see uh, maybe some more fans be allowed in the stadiums. But when that happens, that's the time and place to address load management. Not right now. I mean, I could care less about star players playing in back-to-back games when there's no fans in the stands. That's the prerogative of that team. In fact, if the drop-off from having a star player or two in the lineup is enough to determine a win or a loss, in other words, if they're winning with those star players on the court and probably losing without them on the court, that's something that's just up to the team to do. If the team's choosing to lose, then good for them. There's no impact of having those players on the court. In fact, from the NBA standpoint, there's really no you know, chair to kind of sit on to say that you could go out there and force these players to play, especially at a time when we're dealing with the coronavirus. This copyright broadcast is authorized in our internet rights, granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express 
written consent of the past ball show. JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial other use of programs, such as by charging, admission for its showing is similarly prohibited. So the Cowboys and the Eagles are in direct proportion leading to the success of the Giants and the football team. Now, it sounds very basic, and sometimes I like to open up with statements that are pretty basic. But there's fan bases in New York with the Giants and Washington with their football team that are pretty excited about the prospects of their team over the last, over the next four weeks of the season. One of these teams is probably going to the postseason. They're probably going to host the playoff game. And coming into this year, there was a lot of uncertainty about the direction that both of these teams were going in. Both teams are going through a rebuild. Both teams, in fact, last year, not this past draft, but the draft before, drafted quarterbacks in the first round. You know, the New York football giants are out there with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is hurt. Colt McCoy led the team to a victory last week. The football team drafted Dwayne Haskins out of Ohio State, and Haskins has not worked out. So they went with Kyle Allen. After that, they went with Alex Smith. Alex Smith looks like he's going to be the comeback player of the year. Alex Smith looks like he, he's, that, he's that guy that's going to keep the, the Redskins from really falling apart in a season which initially didn't look so good for them. And the same could be said about the New York football giants. So I look at it like this, and it's not, not ground-breaking information. Coming into this season, we were looking at the Dallas Cowboys as the favorite in the NFC East. The Eagles were probably going to give them a little bit of a battle because those were the two most complete football teams out of the four teams in that division. Now, we always say that things are cyclical in regards to sports. For every team that overachieves, there's going to be another team that underachieves to allow for that overachiever to do what they're doing. In other words, you can't have a team that's expected in a National Football League to win three games to win 10 without a team that was supposed to win 10 win maybe four or five. It's the way it works. Yeah, there's only a certain amount of games in a season, and if every year went the exact way that we predicted, then there'd be no purpose in even having these games. But we understand that every year there's going to be a team that's going to overachieve. But it's always going to go in conjunction with a team that's underachieved. And it can't be more obvious than what we're seeing in the NFC East division this year. Now, the Giants deserve credit. Looks like they've come together under their coach, Joe Judge. And the same thing you could say in Washington with their football team. You know, Ron Rivera is obviously he's battled cancer. You know, Alex Smith back on the field by itself is just a miracle. But, you know, you're looking at two teams that have really come together and unified under their coach and key players and leaders. Now you look at what's happened on the other side with Dallas. Dallas is in a tough spot because Dak Prescott their expected leader and quarterback is out for the season. We don't know what the what he's up against in the future. Will he ever get back on the field? Will he ever get back to the strength that he was when he had that suffered that horrific injury earlier in the season? Andy Dalton was signed to be a solid backup. 
And that's what you need in the NFL. You need to have a proven quarterback to be your backup in case your starter can't come in. And the reason you do that is to make sure that your offense doesn't lose that much if your quarterback happens to be out for a series uh, of weeks. Now, it couldn't be more of a fallacy in what the Dallas Cowboys have done. Andy Dalton has not gotten the job done. I know that Cowboys had a couple weeks where Dalton was out and really couldn't put a, a competitive quarterback out there because who has a third-string quarterback that could start for other teams? It just doesn't happen. But you would expect Andy Dalton, who has led the Cincinnati Bengals in many instances to the postseason. The Bengals are not a playoff team, haven't been a playoff team really much over the past 20 years. But Andy Dalton was one constant in that team getting to the playoffs. Now, with Marvin Lewis as the head coach, Andy Dalton as the quarterback, they wouldn't make it out of past the first round. And you understand, all right, that's something that they're going to be judged for. But when the Dallas Cowboys signed Andy Dalton, the thought was, well, if Dak Prescott was out for a couple games, at least you got a proven starting quarterback in the National Football League. And Andy Dalton has started five games. He has won one of them. He was, what, 2-11 last year as the quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals? It's safe to say that Andy Dalton's days as a starting quarterback in the National Football League are almost non-existent now. And the Cowboys, partially because of Andy Dalton, partially because of Mike McCarthy, and partially because of a defense that has been amongst the worst in the entire league, uh, are in a position that they didn't expect to be in. The Philadelphia Eagles trying to figure out who their starting quarterback is going to be. How much are you blaming Carson Wentz? How much are you blaming Doug Peterson? How much are you blaming the other leaders on that football team? That's a team that's been a perennial playoff team or a near playoff team for the last five years or so and have a lot of common players, a lot of players that are still around from the team that won the Super Bowl three years ago. So there's many things that aren't going right there, but this is a team that all of a sudden looks like trash on the football field, looks like they're capable of losing any game that they're playing, pretty similar to the Cowboys. And, you know, you, you try to say, well, you know, there is no direct correlation. Or somebody that may come at me right now and say, how does one thing have to do with the other? In other words, how did the Giants and the Redskins being at the top of the division have anything to do with the Eagles and Cowboys being as bad as they are? Now, you can talk about head-to-head, -head, which is the easiest way to look at it. Hey, if the, Red, you know, if the football team and the Giants were losing to the Cowboys and the Eagles, like we all thought was going to happen at the beginning of the season – then the Cowboys and the, and the Eagles would naturally be in a better position. And, you know, you think of six games are going to be played commonly amongst teams in a division. So that still leads another 10 games to be played with all different opponents. You play the same division in the AFC, you play the same division in the NFC, and then there's two games that are usually different for each team. So if the Red, if the football team, and, and it's a, I almost said Redskins like three times, but I'm doing pretty good with this so far. But the Washington football team and the Giants, if they're 
if, if they're struggling like they're expected to, the Cowboys and the Eagles may naturally be in a better position. Or the biggest question that could be asked is, do the Giants beat the Seahawks like they did last week? Or do the football team beat the Pittsburgh Steelers like they did last week if the Cowboys and Eagles had just done their job? If the Cowboys and Eagles were over 500, leading the division, and even if the Giants and the football team were coming into this week with four and seven records, maybe the Eagles were seven and four, maybe the Cowboys were seven and four, if it, if it wasn't possible based off of you know wins and losses between the Giants and the football team, then you understand some sort of variation of that with the Cowboys and Eagles ahead in the division. If that was the case, I don't think the Giants beat the Seahawks this past week. If that's the case, I don't think the football team beats the Cowboys on Monday night this week. And, and, that's, and it's that simple. So I believe 100% that the Cowboys and Eagles struggles are in direct proportion to the Giants and the football team having this renewal, having this sudden confidence, really feeling like they could go out on a football field and beat teams like the Seattle Seahawks and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because if the Eagles and Cowboys were good, the Giants and the football team wouldn't have won this week. So I wanted to spend a couple of minutes talking about college football and the playoffs. Does it make sense for you know, a BCS standpoint for Ohio State to try to find a game to play this week? Obviously, you know about Ohio State, Michigan being canceled. One of the things that I've listened to is the talk about the frustration that exists amongst good football teams. You know, Clemson a couple weeks ago, Dabo Sweeney, the football coach there, basically said that the Florida State team did not play them or ended up having that game canceled because they didn't want to get embarrassed. And you think about it, if, you know, in in a situation where you're talking about the coronavirus and probably... You're looking at institutions and schools that have thousands and thousands of students. Odds are there's going to be some sort of coronavirus cases. So if you have enough traced through contact tracing to impact your football team, and you may want to avoid a matchup against a really good college football team, then maybe you could use it to your advantage. So I I don't think Dabo is that far off when he was talking about how Florida State may have very well avoided an embarrassment of getting beat up by Ohio State. I'm sorry, not, not by by Clemson. I'm, I'm thinking Ohio State, Michigan, to j- just to just to avoid the matchup altogether. And think about it when you're when you're talking about the BCS and the college football playoffs as as it's getting set up. Is it going to get expanded? If it is, then then you, you'd like to see the NCAA kind of jump in and, and get out in front of it. I don't think anything's going to happen at this point. I'd be surprised if the playoff format got expanded to anything more than the four, four teams that we've seen over the last several years. But one of the things that a, a good college football team tries to do to beef up their ranking, to make sure that they are getting the proper consideration to get those points, right, to move up and be in the top four, is to 
play their schedule and dominate the opponents that they're expected to dominate. Ohio State this week was expected to play Michigan and was going to be a very heavy favorite. They were expected to go out there and spank them. They were going to beat up on Michigan, more than likely. But now that the game is canceled, they don't get that opportunity. Michigan saves face. They don't get beat up by Ohio State. And Ohio State, in turn, doesn't gain those extra points when it comes to moving up in regards to their ranking or trying to solidify themselves in the top four. So that's why it makes a little sense if Ohio State's going to try to put a game together against somebody so they could go out there and play. Obviously, it won't be easy. You're not going to have that much time to prepare. And you got to find somebody else that's also not playing this week, which is, is is kind of interesting to look at, too. But what I like about the college football top four as it's set up is you got Alabama, you got Notre Dame, you got Clemson, they got Ohio State. Now, obviously, if you're a college football fan of any other team, you may want to dispute it. Maybe like another ACC team or a SEC team or a Big Ten team or whatever. Maybe you, you liked what you saw out of Indiana when they gave Ohio State a run for their money with a great comeback in the second half. Maybe you're a Coastal Carolina fan as they're sitting there in double digits undefeated. Understanding that Coastal Carolina isn't going to go from a nobody to all of a sudden playing for a national championship in one year. The system is flawed to a point where a team like that can't go out there and, and, and all of a sudden be a championship team. They can finish undefeated, but they probably got to go out there and do it next year too if they want to get any consideration to be up in the top four. So you understand that it is kind of biased. It's a bias towards a Notre Dame team. If they can be great, if they can be dominant, if they can be a typical Notre Dame team, then they'll, they'll probably be somewhere within the top four. You know, the best team in the Big Ten, the best team in the SEC, the best team in the ACC are probably going to have a good chance of being up in that top four as well. And like I said, if you're the college football bracketologist, you, you have probably the best scenario where you got Alabama and Notre Dame and Clemson and Ohio State. Question's going to be, is Ohio State going to lose any more games this year? Not lose like getting beat on the football field, but lose by having games canceled. And like I said, if you're an inferior opponent, you could probably find some sort of outbreak or report some data that coronavirus cases are existing somewhere within your school. You could probably find a football player that has tested positive. You could go through contact tracing and uh, make it to a point where you could try to make a case why you're not going to play on a given Saturday. Save face. Avoid an embarrassing loss. But those very important victories or those dominant victories are in some cases the difference between a team like Ohio State finishing fourth or finishing fifth or sixth. They may have to go out there and make up a game like that somehow. Now, the NCAA has announced that, hey, if there's any games that can't be played because of coronavirus, they're getting canceled and not postponed. You have the situation with the Big Ten 
and the Pac-12, the decisions that they made to initially not play. And then all of a sudden, they're like, all right, we're going to try to play. And now that there's coronavirus outbreaks in certain places, it's making it hard, making it hard or difficult to get games in. So they already agreed to play a shorter season when they decided they weren't going to play at all. And now, naturally, you're going to find some games that they're going to end up losing. So the question that I want to ask is how do you treat a team like that? And let's say, and this would be the worst case scenario, of course, let's say Ohio State doesn't have another game the rest of the season. Let's say they finish 5-0. and zero. You know, they should probably lose some BCS points to other teams that are winning. You know, if a team ends up going, you know, nine and one and wins their last eight games, is it good enough to knock off an Ohio State State team that only played five games? Those are interesting things that got to be thought about. So a little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLE.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Talking about the legendary Dick Allen, who passed away this week. One of the great right-handed hitters that the game has ever seen. You know, you think of the likes of Jimmy Fox. And you don't really have to go that far naming other hitters, whether it's a Manny Ramirez or even an Albert Bell. And I thought Albert Bell is a great compliment um, when you're trying to talk about a player that was very similar. Now, Albert Bell also isn't in the Hall of Fame, which is a joke. I think the fact that the Baseball Hall of Fame neglected Dick Allen and didn't put him in while he was still around. Now, listen, they may not have known he was sick. They may not have known he was, you know, one day he wasn't going to wake up. But once again, the Baseball Hall of Fame looks like, you know, that uh, that little uh, coffee area. You know, the coffee chat, you know, by the, by the water cooler with a bunch of people gossiping and slandering and trying to come up with every reason they can to put somebody else down. That's what the Baseball Hall of Fame is. And it's sad. Because it's, it's one of the greatest sports that we've ever seen, if not the greatest sport. 150 years of some of the most incredible history that we've ever seen. But a governing body that when it comes to ranking the best of the best, has chosen to dig deep into and try to find flaws as opposed to just respecting the, those that did the best on the foot, on the baseball field. And you think of a Dick Allen, and Dick Allen was one of the most premier power hitters in both the National League and the American League, won an MVP with the Chicago White Sox, but most importantly was just a feared beast of a power-hitting right-handed batter. And you don't have room in your Hall of Fame for that. And I'm not going to get into all the things that the Baseball Hall of Fame has neglected. Dick Allen is one of many players that should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame that isn't. But once again, you think of the likes of Ron Santo. You think of the likes of Marvin Miller. At some point, the Veterans Committee has put those guys in. The same probably will happen at some point with Dick Allen. But once again, you'll be talking about somebody that's not here to enjoy that moment. 
We talked a little bit about the NBA bringing up load management in a situation where it's not going to be fans in the stands. So any restriction on load management is set to make sure that the game is going to be the best experience for all those that are attending, which is not that important if there's nobody attending a game. So the NBA obviously is hurting for money, obviously wants to make a stand to best assure that it's going to make as many as as much money and as much revenue as it can. And they want to address this load management thing now. Now, my answer to that is time and place. I don't think it's the right time. I don't think it's the right place. We got a season that's going to start in a couple weeks. Very few scenarios, if any, can you imagine that there's going to be any fans in any stadium as the season is about to start. We're talking about indoor stadiums and arenas as it comes to the NBA. I can't imagine any city or state saying it's okay to put even 25% of fans in a stadium when it comes to an NBA game right now. So load management should not even be an issue. That should be something that should be tabled for another time. We should get some more of a definitive answer of when we can expect to see fans in a stadium before we worry about how many games a player, a star player can miss and be healthy. Or what's the best time for that star player to take a day off when they're 100% healthy? I understand how it impacts revenue. I understand how it impacts the possibility that a young kid could want to see a star player on another team and pay money or their parents can pay money to bring them to a stadium and then that player not be playing. I understand that. But if there's no fans in a stadium, it's not the right time or place to bring up. Spoke a little bit about the college football playoff. And now I'm interested to a point where I want to see how many more teams are going to use the coronavirus to avoid getting blown out. Because I think that's what Michigan did this week. Michigan, by having their game canceled against Ohio State, they basically avoided a major blowout. They saved face. They didn't look bad because they didn't play the game. Same thing with Florida State against Clemson earlier this year. Florida State could have played the game, but they avoided the opportunity of getting blown out. And they used coronavirus for a way out. Now, I like the fact that it's Alabama, it's Notre Dame, it's Clemson, it's Ohio State up in the top four now. But a team like Ohio State with a limited schedule – Remember, there was not supposed to be football in the Big Ten this year. And all of a sudden, they decided to play a, a shortened season. And now you have the Ohio State-Michigan game canceled because of the coronavirus. Are they going to play enough games to be ranked as the fourth best team to be in the playoffs? Now, you think of Ohio State, you think of their quarterback, you know, one of the best young players you could expect coming into the NFL draft next year. You, know, you want to see that quarterback, you know, Justin Fields on display. But does it make sense to put that team in a BCS playoff if they get five wins or seven wins and only play that many games? Spoke about the NFL, the NFC East. And listen, 
If you're a New York football Giants fan, if you're a Washington football team fan, you, you got every right to be excited, to be happy with what you've seen over the last couple weeks. Your teams all of a sudden have, have believed in themselves. The coaches have gotten into the teams and the teams are playing hard. The Giants beat the Seattle Seahawks. The football team defeated the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers or the previously undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. And both teams are at the top of the NFCs. But I'm going to say this, and this is going to be an unpopular take, if it wasn't for the demise of the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles, the Giants wouldn't have won this past week. The, the football team would have won this week. Those teams, if they were trailing by two games in the standings, wouldn't have gone out there and slayed the mighty Goliath as they did in this past week. If the Cowboys had a healthy Dak Prescott and a defense that wasn't one of the worst in the league, if the Eagles had managed to have some sort of continuity and Carson Wentz maybe was playing a little better and the veteran players on that team were performing closer to their pro football reference page, the 4-7 and seven Giants wouldn't have beaten the first-place Seahawks. The 4-7 and seven football team wouldn't have defeated the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. So thanks to everybody who tunes in to the Passball Show. Of course, you can find the show on Spotify, on Amazon Music, in addition to iTunes and YouTube. We'll be back with you this Saturday. Talk a little baseball free agency. Get you set for the next upcoming NFL week. And I tell you, with games on Tuesday, it's almost like an NFL week never ends. But, you know, we have that as we get set for basketball starting, maybe hockey around the new year. And next thing you know, it's going to be baseball season again. Hope you enjoy your next couple days. Like I said, we'll be back with you Saturday. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPaley.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.